Welcome back to the podcast of the Francis Asbury Society. This is a special six-week series from the 2022 Hemlocking Retreat. The theme of this year's retreat was Heaven on Earth, Living for Global Awakening. We're excited to share these sessions with you. This session is titled Awakening Touches from David Yarborough. David, after receiving his MDiv from Asbury Theological Seminary, returned to Georgia where he led St. Simon's community from one small church to a multi-campus church of more than 2,000. David now brings 22 years of pastoral and church leadership experience and is currently serving as pastor at Church on the Hill in Dalton, Georgia. Here's David Yarborough. Jesus, King of kings and Lord of lords, we worship you. We worship you. We just give you our affection and our praise. Just give them your love for a moment. Give them your heart continually. We lift up our praise, our love. We worship you, King Jesus. Blessed Lord, Father. Oh, good Father. Holy Spirit. Mm. Man. Mm. Jesus, you are better than the wine of this world. You are so much better. The fairest of 10,000. The lily of the valleys. The bright morning star. Oh, we give you thanks. We love you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Oh, man, I don't even want to interrupt that. I just want to keep going. Hey, I'm going to have you all play a little game with me I do with my kids. Um, sometimes they go along. A lot of times they roll their eyes, and we won't have time for everybody to do it, but I'm just saying, hey, what are you thankful for? What are you thankful for? And so, and I like it to turn it with, uh, to each other, but, but to God. So just shout out. I'm not looking for testimonies, just quick sentences. Tell me what you're thankful for. Tell the Lord what you're thankful for this morning. Amen. What else? Him lock in. Him lock in and that good food. Thank you. <laughs> Family. A few more. Yeah. Tease me no. What was the other one? Love and mercy. Yes. Mm. Ah, yes. Thank you. So thankful for that. Jesus. Yeah. Grace. Mm, mm, yeah. All these and so much more, Lord, we are truly thankful. I'm thankful. Um, I am thankful. I'm thankful to be here with you all this morning, um, this, this week, uh, to be here with my friends, to be included. Uh, I was a big baseball fan growing up. Any baseball fans? Um, this little southern boy lived in Long Island for three years fourth, fifth, sixth grade in the late 70s. The first professional game I ever went to was in Yankee Stadium. The Yankees versus the Oakland Athletics. I saw Mickey Rivers hit two home runs and Reggie Jackson hit a grand slam and I was hooked. And they won the 77 and the 78 World Series and I became the biggest Yankees fan. I I still watch them a little bit today. I'm I'm a bigger Braves fan now, I'm in the South. Um, but I, I love, but not only the Yankees, I fell in love with, with baseball and baseball history. I, I, I used to love to read about all of the greats and, you know, Mickey Mantle and Dizzy Dean and, 
And, you know, Babe Ruth, and I remember I discovered the 1927 Yankees, one of the greatest teams that ever lived. Uh, they were called Murderer's Row because they had such a, a powerful lineup with um, Earl Combs and Mark Koenig and Lou Gehrig and Babe Ruth and Tony Lazieri and a few others. I mean, just some of the great, they were feared. And so as I thought about even being here this weekend, I'm like, wow, man, I, I feel like I'm, I'm following the murderer's row of preachers, you know, just Mark Nicewander and Steve Siemens and David Thomas and Alan Hood, and now they've sent me up here with a wiffle ball bat, and I've got to somehow get on base. I don't, you know, I'm like, but I know there's a big God, and we'll just take a cut and see what he does. But I, I really, I'm thankful to even be here. Um, you know, they say if, uh, if you ever see a turtle on a fence post, somebody put them there. You know what I mean? And I feel like I'm the turtle on a fence post. And grace, a grace, God just put me somewhere. And I'm, I'm really overwhelmed with good, God's kindness. It really, this last year or so, has been a, a, rest, a restoration, a reconciliation, and, and renewal of, of friendships. And really coming back into this, this, this Wesleyan heritage and hunger for a move of God. And, and being with these men has really stirred that in me, which was always in my heart. Um, I'm in Dalton, Georgia now. I uh, grew up, I was actually born in Hickory, North Carolina, but grew up in Brunswick, St. Simons, went to the University of Georgia. Can I get at least one go dogs in the room? We, we are national champions. Is, do, is, it, is there a saved one among us? Is there? <laughs> not one, not one. Oh, well, I, I do still, there's still some preaching left to be done. <laughs> Father, in the name of Jesus, move in power. So it's, um, beat Alabama. But I, I went, uh, I didn't like Georgia growing up. But hey, I went to the University of Georgia. I grew up the son of an Episcopal priest and uh, a, a loving mom. I, I got wonderful parents. They loved me. Uh, they, are, they are so imperfect, <laughs> but they love so well. And, um, but I, I never understood the gospel. And so it was at the University of Georgia that I, I came to know Jesus. I had an encounter with him. My life was changed. And I, I met my wife uh, there. Um, so uh, I've sent all three kids there. So I say, man, I met Jesus at Georgia. I met my wife. I, I left my heart with all three kids and all my extra money. I'm, I'm bought in, okay? It's, uh, so I, I think, you know, Athens, Georgia is the closest thing to heaven on earth. But um. But I went to Georgia. I got saved. I felt called into ministry. I moved to Dalton in 1992 to 95. I was a youth minister where I say I had this glorious ministry where I grew this youth group from 50 kids all the way down to 25. It was just, um, I took my lumps. I went to Asbury. Um, thankfully, just, you know, I was like, I got to figure out. I know I'm called. How do I do this? And and I had three wonderful years there from 95 to 98. I was in the best of the academic world, and yet God was really doing some special things in Wilmore in that time. And that's where, you know, I you know, fell in love with, with Dr. Siemens and his, his devotions, and he was a really good teacher as well in, you know, basic Christian theology and so many other things and so many other great. I met Mark and Kathy Nicewander and Rich Stevenson in this church, the Great Commission Fellowship that had started. I... I got to know Alan Hood and, and you know, Tammy Hutchins, who was this incredible minister, uh, minister, uh, missions uh, friend over in India. And it, it was a, really a special time. There's a lot of godly people there. And, 
Graduated in 98, and the Lord took me back to St. Simon's. I worked with the ministry for a year, and then in 1999, uh, some families had started this church, but they hadn't called a pastor. And so I became the first pastor of uh, St. Simon's Community Church at the age of 29. I had a little more of an idea what I was doing when I was in youth ministry, but still, I, you know, I didn't have a lot of an idea. I've always wanted to write that book, The Things They Did Not Teach Me in Seminary. <laughs> it's just, but it's just a never-ending book. It would have a, it'd be like, you know, when, when John says, if we could write down all the things Jesus did, <laughs> the world wouldn't have enough for all the volumes. Um, but love my seminary, but there's nothing like real-life experience and practice, right, and getting into it. And, and God was so gracious. I was there for 22 years. And I look back, and there's some things I would have done differently, but I look back, and I'm like, God far exceeded what I ever thought could have happened. I mean, really, I got hired in March, and my goal was not to be fired by December <laughs> and still have a job. That was like the one goal, and we'll just see what happens from there. <laughs> and the Lord started saving people, and, you know, I just knew how to pray some and, and communicate a little bit and love people and tried to learn as much as I could. And there were some people that surrounded me, and the Lord did, did grow and bless that church. Uh, we really had a, a wonderful impact on our community. Um, I, I wondered if I would be there for the rest of my life. And then at 50 years old, uh, we're empty nesters. We started a little early, and so we're thinking, hmm. You know, and we started thinking. I was like, you know, maybe you'll be here, but I, I, I think I got one more good run in me. And then, then COVID hit. That was hard. It was hard on all of us, um, and, and not that we were victims, but do you know how hard it was on so many pastors? Now, I saw the Lord do a lot of great things in COVID. We really ministered well. We were an online presence. We, we really, in some ways, got to minister our community. I, I was doing prayer meetings daily on, online and Facebook, and we were having hundreds of people in our community and beyond just coming on because they were so, so desperate. Um, the Lord had blessed our church financially. We were able to give several hundred thousands of dollars in the community to people that, that needed it who were out of work. I mean, it was fun. And yet, you know, it just seemed after seemed like after Easter, the church was just done. They were done with TV church. <laughs> and, and everybody had a chance to go home and, and figure out what they didn't like about their church. <laughs> you know, and, um, and, you know, while I would say God moved in extraordinary ways, it was one of the most painful times of life because just everybody was a critic you know the stuff we've talked about and then some of the founding families who, who I love um, you know I, I got an anonymous letter that put all these other names that was some of the most hurtful stuff that I ever ever could have imagined and um, you know my elders were incredibly supportive no one wanted me to leave even the people that wrote this letter but it was just like what do I do with this and so you're saying Lord what do you do and Amber and I were wrestling about the future and I got a call from Church on the Hill, um, you know, thinking, why would I want to do that? But I just began to pray, Lord, is it time to do something different? And, um, and basically, as we wrestled, we, we came back to this point and we said, no, God's called us to stay. He's called us to stay. So we were convinced we're staying at Community Church. And we agreed on it. And, um, and then a week later, we had no peace. We got one of the biggest arguments we've ever gotten. We were so, so mad, you know, and, um, and after our anger, we're like, what is going on? And we grabbed each other, and we prayed, and we repented, 
And then I'll never forget, and, and my, my heart came alive, my wife said, what if we're supposed to just let go and not know what's next? And what hit me is when I was 25 years old, headed to Asbury, that's the way I wanted to live. But now I'm 53 and, you know, making $100,000-plus with a nice retirement package and good insurance, and I'm thinking that's, that's a little harder to walk away from. But when she said that, my heart leapt because I was like, that's always the way I wanted to live. I always wanted to live by faith. And it became the most freeing moment. And I realized that as much as I loved that church, it was a part of me that had put my heart on the shelf and limited myself and allowed myself to walk in fear and insecurity. And I was just, I was, I was ready to come out of it. And so we, we resigned. Um, and then we started looking. I, I, I did call Church on the Hill. I, I didn't think they had hired anybody else. I wasn't sure that was it. But people ask me now that I'm there, why would you leave St. Simon's to go to Dalton as if, as if Dalton is like really bad or something, like it's in Alabama or something. I don't know. It's just, uh, nah, just kidding. I was just kidding. Nah, just kidding. Just kidding. We good. That was a joke. That was a joke. I, don't, I like Alabama. I, just, I don't like your football team. I like Alabama. So, so it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just trying to make sure y'all are awake and listening. Auburn's there? Yeah, Auburn's there? It's taped? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, all right, camera. Go dogs. <laughs> so, and, um, and God loves everybody, even the people of Alabama. It's amazing. Aren't you glad Grace is amazing? No, it's a, oh, the fact that he loves me. That's what is absolutely amazing. So, uh, we, we ended up, I, I remember early on, um, you know, Mark Nicewander was the interim there. Church on the Hill, you know, I was a youth minister there. I loved these people. I still knew some of them. Uh, honestly, they had been through a 10-year period that had been really, really hard. Uh, they had a wonderful pastor who took them in some great heydays, but ended up on a rougher note, and some people left, and then they had a really, really tough experience there with the, the next guy that came in. He was an Asbury guy, but we won't claim him. Maybe no, it's um, it was rough. Um, and then they had another guy who started off and did well, but by the end of his six, seven years, it just, just some things were grinding. And um, and and when he left, it just wasn't as you know the best situation. And but he knew it was time. And and so you know uh, they, they were hurting. They needed somebody to steady them. And and Mark Nicewander came in for three years, and he did that. And so Mark was on the search team when I'm, I really wasn't planning on telling y'all much of this story, but I think this is the Lord. Mark was on the search team. I was the interim pastor. And so he was so helpful because I, I got to talk to Mike Schultz and the team there, but I really got to talk to Mark, who was a part of them but wasn't. And really, you know, I was like, oh, right, where are all the dead bodies buried? I want to know the truth. Let's, let's tell me. And, um, but then one day Mark sent me a document. And um, it was simple, but it was talking about you know, Church on the Hill exists to exalt Jesus over, the, over Dalton. It, it's on a hill, thus the name. It's, it's not flat. So it's, um, and then it says our mandate is simple. Worship, pray, heal, renew, witness. And I promise you when I read those, they, they leapt off the page. 
I was like, ooh, I could, I could give the rest of my life doing that. That just sounds fun. And Amber and I prayed about it. We weren't sure. Then we finally went up there in March of 21 to kind of do the formal interview process. And in that, um, that Saturday morning, I met in one of the homes with um, mo- mostly younger people, and we, we worshiped, and, and we prayed, and we sought God. And I remember, you know, 10 minutes into that, I just felt like, oh, these, these are my people. These are my people. Oh, my gosh. Loved it. The hearts on fire for Jesus and for reality and encounter. Hungry. And then that afternoon, they had another session. I can't remember what time of the afternoon. And, and, and it, was mainly, it was mainly your generation there. We were in the fellowship hall. And I thought, well, this will be interesting. But as, as we began to do Q&A and I got to share and Mark introduced me, um, I mean, Mark, do you remember that meeting? All of a sudden, it, 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 it felt like a Holy Ghost church meeting. And, and we're talking about revival. And I mean, I've, I've got these 70 and 80-year-olds asking me about revival. And I'm seeing a hunger in their eyes. And I'm like, holy cow. And, and you know, I left there and I'm thinking, I have a much greater chance to see awakening and revival with these hundred or so in Dalton than these thousands in St. Simons, I think. There's just a like heart and spirit that is stirring and calling to my heart. And, um, and so graciously they invited us and, and, and very thankfully we, we came and, and they kept saying, thank you for coming, thank you for coming. And Amber and I were like, thank you for having us. We, we believe, yes, this is about the church, but this is as much for us to step into the next chapter of our life. And, and I knew I needed the place where I could love my wife better. I just needed that. And I wanted the place where I could pursue God with people that wanted to pursue God. So just some honor real quick. Um, I want to honor Mark. He and I got to talk a lot, and then we transitioned for a couple months together. And um, you, you want to talk about one of the most selfless men. And, um, and all he did was, was want to set that church up and set me up. And at the end of the day, when it was done, the, the person who was most excited for the future of the church on the hill was the, the, the outgoing interim pastor. And I, I, I just felt so blessed and championed in a way that I'd never had in my life. And just like a father, it was so amazing. And when I got there, I, I just said, this time, I, I, I want to start in prayer. So the first week that I was official, I just said, would, would you to the congregation, would y'all just give me the gift of prayer? And we're, we're going to pray, you know, starting Sunday night through Saturday at noon, morning, noon, and night. And just whenever you can come. I'm not expecting you to come to all of them, but, you know, we're not going to do anything this week other than just worship and pray. And um, I, was, I thought they would come, and, um, and they did. Now, some prayer meetings had five or six, and then some had 50, 75, and just all week long. And, and just even, Ronnie and Brenda, you remember, just, just even just going through the week, it was building. 
just building. And I thought, oh, man, I'm home. I am home. And we've continued to pray. We've continued to pray. On a, I want to encourage all this generation. I think you've already had it about you're not done. You're the, 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 the generals of intercession. On, on Mondays at 1 o'clock, Ronnie Jones over there, he, he helps lead a group of men. There's about nine of us, and every Monday we, we gather in prayer. And, um, and we, you know, we talk the fat a little bit, but we're really there to pray. And, um, and those men pray with me for the work of God in our church, and then they pray for me. And they always ask, how can we pray for you? How can we pray for the church? It's awesome. His wife, Brenda, over there, she's a part of a, a, a group of ladies that come on Wednesday mornings, what, 9.30 or 10? Yeah. And, um, man, another level of, you know, these generals of intercession, these little... Little 70-year-old ladies, they got more energy and fire. I mean, it's just awesome. I love it. Just the most beautiful women because of the Jesus I see in them. And so I don't always go to that meeting, but if I can, I slip in at some point to pray with them and then say, y'all pray for me. And they do. They lay hands on me and just pray the fire. And I come out of there so encouraged and feel loved and blessed and empowered and not alone and, um, and then Wednesday nights, you know, everybody, well, what do we do with our Wednesday night meetings these days? Because we're doing small groups and stuff like that. And so I inherited this Wednesday night Bible study, you know, praise, you know, it's like, what do we do with this? And, you know, it was one of those up and down. Some nights there'd be 20, some nights there'd be five, some nights there'd be seven. And I just thought, well, let's, I'm just going to turn it more into prayer for right now. And, and, you know, most of our young people are in small groups, so on the whole, we do some other stuff on Wednesday nights to get, you know, them to come. But most Wednesday nights, it's, it's me and about 20 to 35 senior adults. I, I call them my youth group. I was like, hey, y'all ready for youth group tonight? <laughs> and, um, and Earl gets on the guitar and worship, and, and then we flow in the spirit and pray. And I just thought, you know, if I could have... 20 people going after God with me for the rest of my life. I'll do that on Wednesday nights. I, it's just the most beneficial thing I could do. I mean, to do another Bible study and go home? Yeah, no, but to pray and call on God and, and know that, I mean, we're, we're hungering for Him. I'm like, oh, man. You know, so, um, so uh, Ronnie and Brenda, thank you. I honor you. And, and I honor just the way that y'all have honored me. And not, not had an agenda for me, but to love me and hear God together. And I, I don't bring my agenda other than how can we hear Jesus and do what he says. And I, I just feel so loved and honored at the Hill. And, um, and, and, and the biggest part of it is y'all's generation. I'm, I'm telling you, I feel like I, y'all, y'all let me stand on your shoulder. My, my errands and my hers is right there. It's the, it's the greatest gift. I wouldn't want to be at the Hill without that group of people because they're my major prayer warriors. I get some of the young people praying, but, you know, they're just busy with kids, this, that, and the other, and I still want to change the culture where they can engage more and come out of the rat race a little bit, Um, but I just feel like we're building this thing in prayer. And I'm so thankful the Lord put this turtle on a fence post, man. It's amazing. Thank you, Jesus. 
I'm just trying to figure out which way to go and what to share. Because um, I want to I pray and minister before we close. Um, my, my topic was called Awakening Touches. Um, I'm not quite sure what that means. <laughs> Jerry and I talked a little bit, but I've just tried to interpret it. Um, but, but to me, as we're talking about awakening, you know, it's then, you know, when, when the Spirit of God moves, He begins to touch people. He begins to touch people. And we know that the greatest work of God is the inward work of the Holy Spirit invisibly transforming the souls of men and women. I mean, it's a beautiful thing when God changes a life, is it not? I mean, when you see a man like, he is not the same guy. He's a new man. He's, he's loving. He's kind. He, he's a worshiper. It's like, oh, my, glory to God. There's nothing. That's the most miraculous thing ever, you know, when God changes a heart. But as uh, we, we look in, in Scripture, I'm going to read from Acts chapter 2. We, we see these awakening touches, and often the, the inward work of God that's going on in the hearts and the souls, it, it often is accompanied by outward touches, outward manifestations of the Holy Spirit. I don't know if there's any greater example of that than the day of Pentecost, as you have these 120 plus that have been gathered in this upper room, right? And they have... Uh, what have they been doing for 10 days? They've been praying. They've been praying. Now, the resurrected Christ is risen from the dead, and it tells us in Acts chapter 1 that he, he stayed with them for 40 days after raising from the dead and, and taught them about the kingdom of God. How many of y'all would have liked that hemlock in, right? I think about, man, I wish I'd gone to that seminary. So... I was like, hey, man, Dr. Siemens, I love you, <laughs> and, and Oswald and Bauer and the rest, but I, I, would, I would trade y'all in for that 40 days, you know, to hear Jesus, the risen Jesus, talk about the kingdom of God. Can you imagine? Mind-blowing. I think Mark said he was probably talking about Joel chapter 2 and the spirit that's coming. And so he teaches them, and then he, he you know, he, he ascends into heaven. Do you remember? And they watch, and he goes into the clouds. And he, he's told them, hey, you go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I command. I mean, if there's any, any great moment to break the huddle and go, it's like, well, Jesus has gone into the heavens. Man, let's go, team, go. But whoa, not so fast. Not so fast. What did Jesus tell them? Don't you dare go until you... Receive the promise of the Father. I want you to go to Jerusalem, and I want you to wait until you receive. Luke 24, Jesus said, until you're clothed with power. And so they, they go back and wait in an upper room, and they gathered. I love it. I'm just seeing the word unity more. They were in one accord. They were gathered with one heart, and they, they began to pray for 10 days. I've heard that uh, the early church prayed for 10 days, preached for 10 minutes, and 3,000 got saved. Today, the church will pre uh, pray for 10 minutes, preach for 10 days, and, you know, praise God if anybody gets saved. 
Is there any wonder we, we lack power? And so here's this 120. They're broken. They're hungry. They're humble. They're desperate Jesus followers joining in unity. And the risen Christ has told them to wait for the promise of what the, the, the Father. In a few days, you're going to be baptized with Holy Spirit. You're going to be baptized in Holy Spirit. I, I don't know if they even knew what that meant, but they're praying, God, give the promise, send the promise of, of the Holy Spirit. Come and baptize us with, with Holy Spirit. We, we, we want in us and on us what we saw in Jesus. Come and, and fill us with your promise that we can walk in this ministry. And they, who knows what all they understood. But they prayed for 10 days. I imagine they got to where I can't pray anymore. And then what does it say? Suddenly. Everybody say Suddenly. Suddenly. Oh, I love it. I love that word, suddenly. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. This is Acts 2. Suddenly, suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven. I'm going to back up and read it again. I, I, I want you to hear this with fresh ears, and I want you to engage your senses when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Is that not a full sensory experience? As you listen and engage and you think about what would it have been like to have been in the room as God poured out His Spirit upon these men and women? Now, the inward work of God's Spirit is the greatest and most miraculous work, but again, we often see scripturally at times the inward work is accompanied by an outward work or signs or manifestations that can symbolize what God is doing on the inside. And so here we see a couple things. What do we see in here? We see the wind. Holy Spirit, when He was poured out, came as a mighty rushing wind blowing upon them. Oh, I, I love that. I love to think of the Holy Spirit like a mighty rushing wind. I think of a wind coming in to blow out the cobwebs of spiritual death and religiosity. And then it's like heaven sent a wind but also was breathing a new life of power and destiny and, and purity into the spiritual lungs of these depleted men and women who had failed at the cross and, and run away in fear and shame. And Jesus breathed life into them again, restoring to them the abundance that they had lost at the fall. Oh, man. I just want to ask you, when... The Holy Spirit came rushing in as a wind. 
rushing in the room and then rushing into their hearts. Do, do, you, do you feel like maybe they had any physical sensations in their body? That they may have sensed something, you know, is all of this was happening to them, but part of it was around them and upon them, and as God was moving, in the, the word uh, mighty rushing went, the word is, it, it actually is violent. Like, this was not a little gentle, like, little dust coming through and a little, this is gale force. I mean, this is hurricane force. God is moving in, in power here. Do you think they, they may be, this is awakening touches. Seminary professor, is this awakening touches? I think so. Man, this is awakening touches. You know, there, there's time for me when I'll hear, I'm, I'm a child of the 80s, right? Alan, 80s was the best, right? Um, you know what? I'll hear one of those old 80s songs. I used to listen to my girlfriend. And something, I listen, and like something happens in my body. And all the memories come back and sensations. And I'm like, whoa. You know, some of that, like, I don't need to go there. But it's just like, you know, and then sometimes I get warm just listening. It just takes me back. Just so much connected there. Or, or I, love, I love good spicy Mexican food. You ever eat good spicy Mexican food and start breaking out in a sweat? I'm like, whew. Man, and I'm thinking if, if, a, if a good song or or a taco can cause a sensation in my body. What, what happens when the God of the universe shows up in my life? It, could there ever be times where he just overloads my circuits? Now, I, I, I've seen quiet, deep moves of the Spirit in people's lives where you couldn't tell because in the end it's where they transformed. And, and I have no desire to dictate what the Spirit does or manipulate or control. But as, as we seek Jesus, as we seek the presence of Jesus, as we seek awakening and revival, we also must be open to the awakening touches of the Lord as He manifests Himself in power among frail human bodies. He came like a wind. And then I love, he says, and then there were tongues of fire resting on them. They saw what were like tongues of fire. Are your senses engaged? Tongues of fire. They, they, they see something. So there's a visual. Uh, you know, I don't know if one saw it, two saw it, all saw it. It seems like they all saw. What, what is this? And, and they saw these tongues of fire manifested, whether they were seeing in the spiritual realm or just you know what, appeared in the natural realm and, and they rested on them. It's a picture of the Spirit of the Lord resting on them. They're being filled with wind and breath and fire is resting on them. The living God had come to set them on fire that day. I'm going to put a fire in your bones. I'm going to put a fire in your heart. And you're going to come alive. Oh, fire. Fire representing God's warmth. Fire representing His passion. But we know most of all, Wesleyans, right? Fire representing His purity and His holiness. He has come like a fire on these men and women on the day of Pentecost. Oh, God, send the wind. Oh, God, send the fire. 
Have you ever, have you ever sensed the manifestation of God's presence in your life? And again, I, make no mistake, the, the inward work, if a man or woman's nature is not changed, you know, I've heard it's not how you fall down, it's how you stand up. But, but have you ever sensed his awakening touches in your life that were sweet? You, you probably have, even if you're like, I don't even know if I believe in this stuff, but I, I guarantee you somewhere along the way, whether it was a moment of warmth and comfort or a moment of incredible boldness, Maybe it was the heartwarming experience of a John Wesley where I thought my heart was going to leap out of my chest as the Spirit of God moved in me and upon me and was doing something extraordinary, and I will never be the same. The tongues of fire were resting on them. I, I, just, I just think they had to feel some kind of warmth with, with this. I mean, have an opening, and, you know, this is a, a, a new dispensation this is a new era of of the church and so man this is this is powerful but i love the reminder of this was never meant to be a one-time occurrence you know uh, uh, pentecost is now the invitation for all the church to walk in the fullness of the spirit and power and revival these tongues rest on them in exodus moses saw a burning bush didn't he a bush that was on fire but not consumed and I love it. It says he went and set aside to see this thing. You know what? Some things we've got to decide, am I going to pull aside and see this thing? Or am I just going to keep on going? And he set aside, and that, that, well, it was holy ground. As Moses was standing before the bush, do you, do you sense he felt this emanating presence in some way? Maybe he, he felt the warmth of God physically as, as he was engaging with God spiritually. There was a fiery coal that touched Isaiah's lips and purified him and transformed him. Uh, is that an awakening touch, Dr. Siemens? Okay, thank you. I'm still, I don't want to fail the class, but I'm just thinking. <laughs> it just seems like an awakening touch. A fiery coal touches your lips. Let's all make the sound together. What, what happens? Psst. Now, it doesn't say he cried in pain, but I don't know. There was something happening. Now, again, the, the lips, a man of unclean lips among a people of unclean lips, it was the outward lips that was a sign of the, the heart, for out of the heart the mouth speaks, right? So the real deal was we need to clean the heart, but here's this outward manifestation of the inward work of God and you can't tell me his little feeble frame. It, well, it does feel something because right before that, he's like, I'm undone. I'm undone. I, I, can't, I can't go anymore. And the fiery cold touched his lip. At the baptism of Jesus, I love it. Remember, Jesus came out of the water and the Holy Spirit came on him. But not like a fire, did he? How did he come? Like a gentle little dove, right? It's a peaceful scene there with Jesus. The sinless Son of God. So Holy Spirit could come down like a gentle dove and just rest on Him. And we come to Pentecost and we've got these broken, feeble disciples. And it's like, it, it ain't time to send the dove. Send the fire. <laughs> send the fire. <laughs> this ain't going to be peaceful. <laughs> send the fire. Send a live coal from heaven and purify these 
men and women and set their hearts on fire and sanctify them, empower them, symbolizing the inward work of God in them as the fire is resting on them. Oh, man. When the sacrifice was placed on the altar, what would happen? Fire would consume the sacrifice. When Elijah is contesting the prophets of Baal, remember? And he taunted them, where's your God? Cry out. Is he, is he on vacation? Is he down in Florida somewhere? You know, on the Emerald Coast, 38. I don't where is he? Is he taking a potty break? You know, where's your God? He's mocking them. He's mocking them. And then he rebuilds the altar, puts the bull on, and then he just splashes it sopping wet. If this is going to catch on fire, this is God. And then he whispers a prayer, Father, I have done everything you've asked. Now come and answer the prayers of Elijah. And what happened? Suddenly, there was fire. Fire. And it licked up everything. I mean, the bull is gone, the altar's gone, the water's gone, boom, it's all gone. That's a fire. That's a fire. A fire licking up the, the, the sacrifice of God, consumed by the fire of God. So now we're in the upper room, and we have these men and women in the sacrifice that day. It is, it is not a dead bull, or it is not a, a lamb but it is, it is these men and women who are not dead sacrifices. They are living sacrifices. And the fallow ground has been broken up. They have been humbled. And now their hearts are ready to be set ablaze by the living God. And fire comes from the altar. And they could probably remember John Baptist said, There is one coming after me who is mightier than I. I baptize you with water, but when he comes, he will baptize you with Holy Spirit and fire and now they're saying why get it now the baptizer has come with holy spirit wind and fire and they are the living sacrifices they are the burning bushes they are the living coals now that will be sent to the world. Mm. And the, the living sacrifices become living witnesses to the exalted and resurrected Jesus. Isn't that good? Isn't that good? Send the fire, Lord. Send the fire. Send the fire. You know, the last one is they were... Um, well, they... they Spoken tongues and, you know, whether it was words that were just a heavenly language or the native tongues of men, it's, it's, it's a miracle. That's a sensory experience. They're, they're hearing the gospel, the wonders of God in languages from anointed tongues to ears that have now been opened to the gospel. Those are awakening touches. Those are awakening touches. When God anoints tongues and opens ears and hearts, those are wake touches. And then I, I, I love, remember at the end of Peter's sermon, I'm not going to read it all, but remember what happens? There's this crowd of men and women, and um, 
verse, what is it, 37, 40. When the people heard this, they were, what's that phrase, cut to the heart. Everybody say cut to the heart. Oh, that's just like, mm. does that engage your senses? They were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? What shall we do? Man, gosh, a few weeks ago we were hollering for the death of Jesus and now we, what do we do? We don't know. And they were cut to the heart. And again, I, I just imagined, I mean, cut to the heart. What, what do we do? And this idea is they were under the extreme weight of conviction of the force of the power of, of the Word of God and, and the gospel that was coming forth. It's, I'm like what I felt over the last day and a half sitting over there, and I'm like, oh my, I am being cut to the heart. I mean, the power of the Word coming from these servants, it is, it is coming like a sword. And I, I'm just imagining in the crowd, though, on that day with such... Power, they're, they're cut to the heart that, that men maybe just are, are falling to their knees. Brother, what do, we, what do we do? Some just clutching their hearts. What, what do we do? Some scratching their heads, pulling their What do we do? Many feeling my heart's going to explode. What do we do? What do we do? And I, I just imagine, do, do some of them feel like, like Finney used to describe in his meetings that that, that that the floor was opening up underneath them and they were about to slip into hell itself under the weight of their sin so that they would grab the pews not to fall in, feeling the weight. What, what do we do? Well, I'm going to tell you what. You were, you were yelling for his death a few weeks ago. Now I want you to call on him for your life. Believe. Believe on the Lord Jesus. It says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Later on, it says, and times of refreshing will come from the Lord. I mean, these are awakening touches, are they not? And I imagine to these people that were cut to the heart, the, 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 the beautiful gospel was sweet music to their ears, don't you know? As they, they met grace. They met grace. Man, um, gosh, Acts chapter 4, they prayed and the building was shaken. Isaiah 6, he has an amazing vision of God in a time of incredible uncertainty. It's a sensory experience. He sees something mind-blowing. The one who's on the throne. I tell you what, our God's not out to the bathroom. I don't care what's happening in America. <laughs> he's on the throne. He's high and exalted and he's lifted up. And he sees him. The train of his robe filled the temple. You know, the, the train is a bride's glory, right? It's her glory. It was a monarch's glory. And material was expensive, and you had to hand do it. So the longer the train, the greater the splendor and glory of the king. It says his glory filled the, his, his train filled the temple. Filled the temple. Uh, another thing popping out to me other than unity lately is just this whole idea of fullness. Acts chapter 2, it said when the Holy Spirit came, this mighty rushing wind filled the room. And now the train of the robe is, is filling the temple. You, do you all know that our God is a God of abundance and fullness? How many of y'all are like, like half empty, half full type people? 
<laughs> you know what? Well, God ain't neither. God is like full. <laughs> full. That's what I do. That's what I do. You're half full and it ain't my fault. I'm a full God. If you would get out of the way and give up, fullness is available. And I just keep seeing this. God is a God of abundance. He's got so much more to give. Train of the robe fills the temple. Seraphim? Huge angelic beings? Remember with six wings? Isn't it awesome? Six wings with two they cover their eyes? Why? They can't even look on the holiness of God. With two they cover their feet. They can't even put their feet on the ground where the throne of God is. Two they fly and, and they cry back and forth to each other. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Just thought like this, this is our generation, pickleball, right? <laughs> Great pickleball match. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Back and forth. And, and I wondered, I'm just sitting there and I'm thinking, you know what, did, did, did God have to tell them to do this? Was this like choreographed? Hey, you know what, all right, organ guy, I want you to play this key. And then you go first, and then you go first, and then you know what, you guys are going to hum in the back. Or, or, or were they just compelled by the essence of his being and the manifestation of his glory? That they, they don't have a choice. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God. You don't have to tell me what to say in the presence of God. Holy. Man, just compelled. And then that angel, that's when Isaiah cried, What was me? I'm undone. Y'all ever just been undone? Y'all ever just been undone? I've just been undone. At COVID, I tried to keep a brave face on. I was undone. I, I, I just couldn't do it anymore. I was undone. The, the word undone, I mean, it, it really it means like it, it's over. I'm finished. I can't go on anymore. Um, can't do it. It means I'm silenced. I have nothing to say for myself. It, it kind of sounds like cut to the heart, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, I don't think the, the Hebrews probably didn't have the idiom um, at the end of my rope, <laughs> probably. Um, if, if they did, that, you know what? Isaiah would have said, I'm at the end of my rope. You know where I found out where Jesus hangs out? At the end of the rope. <laughs> he hangs out at the end of the rope. That's, I've just found out that's like the best place to be. You know what? Jesus said, when you get to the end of your rope, I'm there. Because you'll quit striving. You'll quit trying so hard. You'll quit trying to perform. And I'll meet you at the end of the rope. And so he's undone, and the mercy comes with a live coal from heaven. Uh, I, I know I need to be wrapping this up, but I, I just love this scene. You, you got one of the seraphim, and he goes over to the altar of God. So you got the throne of God's for him, and the altar's for us. The altar where we can meet God. Although eventually we are seated with him in heavenly places, a whole other story is amazing. But the... the <laughs> I love this. One of these huge seraphim come over to the altar to get a coal, and he picks up a pair of tongs. 
I don't, I just look like, that's just funny to me. <laughs> I was like, okay, let me get the tongs. You know, it's like, yeah, okay. I mean, he's not, you know, he can't pick it up himself with his, just not going to contaminate it. It's too holy. I, I don't know, but hey, use the tongs. You know, it's like, all right, get your songs, your, your salad fork, and your moist towelette. Here we go. I mean, just, you know, like, you know, but he grabs it. He grabs it, and then he starts coming at Isaiah. Imagine he's coming towards you. And you're like, hey, are you still covering up your eyes? Because you're coming at my head. You know, I mean, at least give me one of these. You know, it's, it's just, you know, drop a wing. I mean, you're coming in hot. You know, and here he comes. You know what? But he touches the lips. What? It was an outward sign of an inward work. Transformed Isaiah, empowered him, got him ready for the call of God. Those are awakening touches. Um, my desire is, is really truly for a manifestation of God's presence and awakening. Um, I want the presence of God above all else. I value the presence of Jesus and the Spirit more than anything else. Um, And as I seek his presence, I want him to release his hand of power and bring glory to his name. And, and so I think we would be well to be open to the awakening touches, however he decides to bring them, as we seek the one who awakens us. And will there be False fire in the midst of fresh fire, always. But I don't want to miss fresh fire because I'm so worried about false fire and strange fire around me if I know I'm seeking the Lord. Charles Finney saw people cut to the heart and literally fall under conviction as if somebody had cut them down with a sword in revival meetings. He also received a powerful baptism of the Spirit where he said, I felt waves of liquid love flowing over me. Whitfield criticized Wesley, there's people falling down in your meetings. And then they started doing the same in him, and he quit criticizing. Let God be God. Our lives change. And John praying, Hyde reported having visions of the glorified Christ as a lamb upon the throne who had felt the sufferings of the sins of humanity. He had a vision in the middle of their the revival meetings, and it was so real as he shared it, it was palpable in the room, and many just fell to their knees. It's a sensory experience. John Wesley had his heart strangely warmed. The disciples on the road to Emmaus were our hearts not strangely warmed. Many of the old holiness camp meetings, when God fell, and it's weird, and I don't necessarily want it, but there was shaking and shouting and crying. And jerking as God moved. There's a, there's a Pine Log United Methodist Church. You might know that in Georgia. There were revivals there in 11, uh, 1886. They're having revivals. Preacher Sullivan's preaching for days. And just it's just not getting anywhere. He's like the fallow ground. They're not breaking up. He got on his knees and he said, Lord, show up even if you've got to shake this place. And when he finished his prayer, the building shook. And this is just, the building shook. That got their attention. (laughs) 
they crowded to the altar and they started repenting and they had a move of God. They started telling their friends, you got to come. You, they, they sang and worshiped through the night. The next day they found out that they were on a fault line and there was a, 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 an earthquake that had happened over near Charleston and tremored up to them. You know what? But I'm like, but the timing, that's God. And sometimes God shakes us to wake us. An outward manifestation of what God wants to do in the world in our lives, and our heart. So I'm, as a pastor, just trying to seek awakening touches, trying to make room in our services. We, we plan, but where can the Lord have presence? And where can he be invited to show up if he wants to? And some weeks the plan just happens, and it was beautiful because it was what the Lord planned with us. But more and more often, there's at least one moment where it's like, oh, we can turn that way a little bit, Jesus. We can pull aside to that burning bush and see what you're saying. We've been asking the Lord to release your presence, release your presence. God, be present among us. Just touch people, even in worship. And we've, we've had reports of men and women in the, in the midst of worship beginning to have a, a physical sense of the manifestation of God's presence in a way they've never had before. One man said, I was worshiping. There was, I felt a hand on my shoulder. And I looked, and there's no one next to me. One man, he'd lost his wife, and a couple months later in worship, he came and he said, I had an experience I've never felt in my life, but it was like, it was like a warm blanket just came over me. We began to see some people healed. We were praying for healing one day. We had them stand up. One of the girls that I love, who's so bold in many ways, but shy in the other, she told her husband, I'm too shy. She wouldn't even stand up, and the Lord healed her back. That had been hurting her since college from a soccer injury. I didn't even know. She said, I woke up in pain every day, and I don't anymore. And you didn't even stand up. Isn't God so kind? I think there's been healing in her church from the past, from 10 years of turnovers and pastors. It's been awakening touches of forgiveness, letting go of hurts, forgiving each other. Asking forgiveness as best we can from those that were hurt and left. We had a church-wide corporate day of atonement and repentance that we're going to do yearly. Lord, where we missed it, forgive us. Because I'm bound to miss the Holy Spirit between now and next year sometime. And I, I want to just be able to humbly say, God, forgive me. I know I'll miss you. So, yeah, my time's done. Well, thank you for stopping by. We do hope that this special series is a blessing to you. Please take a moment to visit our website at www.francisasburysociety.com. And you can find out more information about the Hemlock Inn retreats on our events page. You can even register now for next year's retreat, which will take place August 21 through 23. And then the second retreat is August 23 through 25. That's in 2023. Uh, we would love for you to join us. The Hemlock Inn is a beautiful inn located in Bryson City, North Carolina. The inn overlooks the Smoky Mountains. It would be a wonderful stop for your family next time you're in the area. FAS has been holding our annual retreats there at Hemlock Inn for close to 40 years now, and God has faithfully met us there on that back porch year after year. We would love to have you join us.